Canecast episode number two, a review of the performance of our small cap core portfolio and an outlook for the small cap market going forward. Welcome to Canecast, a podcast series by Kane Anderson Rudnick Investment Management, where we offer timely commentary on the performance of financial markets, the global economy, and our various investment strategies. Hi there. My name is John Christensen. I'm the co-portfolio manager on the Kane Anderson Rudnick Small Cap Core Portfolio. Today, I'd like to review with you our portfolio for 2013 with a general market overview to start, drivers of performance, we'll then talk about some new names in the portfolio, our portfolio characteristics, and then we'll conclude with an overall market outlook. So let's talk about 2013 overall. The market in 2013 was considered strong by many, robust by the rest. Signs of an improving economy drove the overall stock market, with small caps mostly being the main beneficiary, by outperforming the larger S&P 500 by over 6% for the year. The Russell 2000 index was up over 38% in 2013, on top of a 16% return in 2012. The Russell has now delivered the highest five-year rolling return in over 16 years. Lastly, the Russell 2000 has had the fourth best calendar return in the history of the index. So overall, indeed, we can agree it was a very strong year for small caps. In 2013, the sectors that really drove the performance were healthcare, which was up over 51% for the year, consumer staples, up over 47%, and consumer discretionary, up almost 45% for the year. On the lower end, utilities were the lowest performing sector, but still, increased almost 22% for the year. Just really gives you an indication of how strong the overall market was in 2013. So let's talk about businesses, the ones that really benefited the most in this environment. So the companies whose stocks had high betas, high PEs, and high debt on their balance sheet outperformed their counterparts on each of those metrics. Case in point, stocks with PEs in the 30 to 45 times range were up over 49% in 2013, while those in the 14 to 16 times range were up 23%. Huge difference there in performance. Stocks with betas over 2 were up 42%, while those in the 0.5 to 1 beta range, where we have over 50% of our portfolio, were up 37%. All in all, I think we can confidently determine the character of the market in 2013 was one of lower quality versus higher quality. So look at the drivers of the performance that we had in in the year. So overall, after reviewing what we just talked about before, that low quality factor that really was driving the market, our portfolio underperformed. We had only one stock that was actually negative for the year, and that was National Interstate, ticker NATL. NATL is a specialty property and casualty insurance company that sells traditional and alternative insurance products with a focus on the transportation industry. This was one of the few, actually only stocks that we had for the year that was actually negative. And the company really suffered during the year as it saw its combined ratio actually increase. Now, combined ratio for an insurance company is an indication of profitability. As it divides incurred losses plus expenses by net premiums earned. Ergo, the lower the ratio, the better. This is the company, and when we bought it, had about 80% combined ratio, and has now seen that combined ratio actually go to up over 
as it has moved into new markets. So as a result, we do have some concerns about this combined ratio increasing, and there are indications that the company's superior underwriting seems to be eroding over time. Now, we really need to get some confidence behind this to make sure that this can be reversed. We will tell you that if this, we cannot get confidence behind this and we do not think that this combined ratio can revert back to lower historical range, then we'd be uh, most likely uh, exiting our underweight position. We also had two other names that underperformed this year. And again, mostly flat in a very strong market. And those were Hittite and Serona Dental. So Hittite is a designer of analog performance integrated circuits that are used in digital, radio frequency, uh, microwave, and cellular types of applications. Now, these shares have been more of a holding pattern as their military market, which is about a third of their revenues, has been hurt by government funding cuts. And then on the cellular side, has been uh, hurt by a delay in upgrade projects in the U.S. and overseas. However, we continue to believe that the company has gotten a significant amount of new design wins. There is a significant amount of pent-up capital spending that will happen eventually. And the company has a pristine balance sheet with a lot of cash on it. We think these factors will allow it to prosper and endure over the long term and continue to be shareholders of Hittite. Serona Dental was another underperformer, albeit we owned the stock for uh, less than two months in 2013. But a little background on Serona. They are a manufacturer of dental technology and equipment, including CAD CAM systems, imaging, and instruments. As I said, we recently bought the stock into the portfolio, but overall the stock has been rather sluggish as it experienced headwinds from a slow European economy, as well as a new product upgrade cycle for its CAD CAM system that has been slowly ramping up and has temporarily diminished the overall growth rate for the company. Recall, though, that with Serona, 2012 was actually a very successful year for the stock. The stock was up over 30% in 2012, and with that slowing growth rate, the stock acted accordingly. Again, we continue to believe that their product differentiation and innovation should lead to more robust growth over time, and therefore benefit the shares. As far as new names in the portfolio that we added in Q4, uh, we have three. Serona was one, which I just talked about. The other uh, two were the Chef's Warehouse and Hibbit Sporting Goods. So the Chef's Warehouse uh, is a distributor of specialty food products in the U.S. that focuses on independent and fine dining establishments. Now, they are more focused on selling to more uh, high-end more independent, smaller types of restaurants. They aren't interested in the large change. But more importantly, they are focused on selling uh, goods such as specialty cheeses, truffles, caviar, things like that. They have over 20,000 SKUs that have a high-touch service. To give you an example, over 50% of a typical type of chef's warehouse distributor has an extremely high amount of culinary experience. So these are people who go in and talk to the uh, owner, operator, or chefs of, of restaurants and actually help them design menus given their high experience in culinary. Now, as a result, these, they can charge a much higher price than your typical types of food distributors such as Cisco. And this really translates into the financials. So compared to Cisco, which we view as a much more of a commoditized type of distributor in food, 
the operating margins in Chef's Warehouse are 150 basis points higher than that of Cisco, with much higher growth opportunities than a Cisco. Hibbit. So Hibbit Sports uh, operates sporting goods stores in more rural areas, mainly in the southeastern part of the United States. The focus here is more on team sports and apparel. So the benefit that Hibbit has versus other sporting goods stores or the larger mass markets such as Walmart or even Target is that because they are in more rural locations, they can really operate much more frugally than those other stores. The larger stores, the academies of the world, the Dick Sporting Goods, those markets are so small for them that they don't even bother entering those stores. So Hibbit can go in, get a much more favorable lease, and really address that rural market very, very well. Again, this advantage allows them to get operating margins in the low teens versus other players in the industry which have operating margins in the single digits. Another thing I'd like to address is the overlap in the portfolio. One of the things we always talk about is we like to have one-third overlap between our small cap core, small cap value, small cap core, and small cap growth, and well, a small cap core and our SMID product. So just to give you an update on that, our small cap core and small cap growth products, uh, we have about a 37% overlap. So we're pretty close to that one-third as we talked about. Small cap core and small cap value, we're actually at 23%. And our small cap core and our SMID product, we're also at 37% as well. So comfortably within the area where we want to be uh, historically. I'm going to switch now to our portfolio characteristics. Uh, again, I think if you look at all overall characteristics, they continue to look very, very favorable versus the benchmark on various quality growth and value metrics. So I'm just going to call out a couple here that I think are very important. So return on equity in our portfolio, this data is as of uh, December 31st, 2013. The return on equity in our portfolio is 21.1% versus 8% for the Russell 2000 index. This says that in a market of commodity businesses, we own proprietary businesses. The debt to EBITDA of 0.6 times versus 4.4 times shows us that our companies have a lot less debt on the balance sheet. Remember, too, that ROE that I just discussed, that can be enhanced by debt. So leverage actually makes that ROE higher. So our companies have higher ROE with less debt. So our companies have a much higher return on asset, return on capital profile versus the rest of the market. Earnings per share growth, the last 10 years, 10.2% for us, 7% for the index. So again, outgrowing our markets over long periods of time. PE, the trailing 12 months of 26 versus 33.6 times for the Russell 2000s. So again, we have over a seven multiple discount to the market at this time. Free cash flow yield of 3.4% versus 0.7%. Again, our companies have less debt, generate greater free cash flow than the rest of the market. And lastly, the weighted average market cap of $2.9 billion versus $1.6 billion. Now, the $2.9 billion is probably one of the higher numbers we've registered in, in this portfolio. But I will tell you, it's been, part of that's been the success of the markets. Obviously, the market's up over 30%. But our goal is that we continuously want to get that down. And we want to get it closer to the weighted average market cap of the Russell, which is $1.6, as I said. But we are consistently looking for new ideas that will drive this down over time. Remember, this number is a trailing 12-month number, so it does take time for that to, to register and to bring that down. But it's one of everybody to know out there, our goal is to consistently bring that market cap weight down over time.
And lastly, just to let you know, we have about 33 names in the portfolio uh, as of right now. So let's go to our market outlook. Obviously, we've come through a very strong period of performance in small caps over the last five years, as I, as I talked about earlier. And clearly, the stock market has priced in a very robust economic recovery over the next few years. Now, we believe that the economy, though, continues to have some hurdles to overcome to kind of improve the sluggish nature of this current, if you want to call it, quote-unquote, recovery, because it is one of the slowest recoveries we've ever experienced in our economy. Now, I don't think we're really calling here for a crash in the market, but we do believe there will be a reversion to the mean and some of the returns that would be appropriate. And the reason is just looking at a couple of things that really drives the economy overall. And I'm going to focus on consumer spending. Consumer spending is 71% of GDP. So unemployment. Unemployment is a driver of consumer spending, right? Because if people think they have a job or aren't going to lose their job, they'll continue to spend money. Well, we've got unemployment figures registering at new lows every single month. But if you look at the labor force participation rate, that's at a 35-year low. So I think there could be a lot of funny math going on with the unemployment figure. And that labor force participation rate, in my opinion, is a much more accurate view of where we are. I want to combine that with the fact there's more college graduates now working at minimum wage than we have ever had in the history of our economy. So I think the unemployment still has a long way to go. I think the jobs we're creating are not those high-quality jobs that, in my opinion, really drive consumer spending. Housing. So housing prices have obviously had a nice recovery in 2013, focused mainly on very affluent areas as well as those areas that got really hit hard in the 2007-2008 era. So Miami, uh, Phoenix, uh, eastern part of uh, California, they've all experienced a resurgence, although they are pretty much back to a little below where they were prior to 2007. However, we're now seeing a, a range now where the interest rates are going to be, they've pretty much reached their nadir and are now projected to rise over time. So we believe this could be a potential headwind to new purchasers of, of homes as well as consumers. So when we kind of take all of this in aggregate, that's why we believe the market could adjust for factors given the robustness we have seen in the market. So where do you want to be in this market? We continue to believe that small caps are the place to be over the long run, you know, given their track record of superior growth versus larger cap names. Small cap companies are still in the early stages of growing internationally and should benefit in the form of higher sales and margin enhancement. That is why we believe that small caps overall should continue to trade at a premium to large cap names. Also, over the long term, you want to own high quality businesses that have sustainable competitive advantages, outgrowing their markets, low debt, and strong free cash flow that trade at discounted multiples to the greater market. That's where we invest. That's our history. And that's our future. So with that, I'd like to thank you for your time, uh, your interest, and continued trust and confidence. KaneCast is the official podcast series of Kane Anderson Rudnick Investment Management. Kane Anderson Rudnick provides this communication as a matter of general information. The opinions stated herein are those of the speakers and not necessarily the opinions of Kane Anderson Rudnick or its affiliates. Portfolio managers at Kane Anderson Rudnick make investment decisions in accordance with specific client guidelines and restrictions. As a result, client accounts may differ in strategy and composition from the information presented herein. Any facts and statistics quoted are from sources believed to be reliable, 
but they may be incomplete or condensed and we do not guarantee their accuracy. This communication is not an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any security and it is not a research report. Individuals should consult with a qualified financial professional before making any investment decisions.